Greetings, my name is Griffin Schaefer. And I'm Scott Peterson. And this is episode five of Inside Quizzing. A podcast about Bible quizzing for folks who love the Bible. Well, out of the gate, I know we're never supposed to do this in a podcast. You're never supposed to apologize for anything, but I will apologize for the fact that I don't sound particularly great. I am trying to recover from the plague. I think I got the flu about a week ago, and uh, it has progressed into my lungs, which is not a very happy place for it to progress to. Um, But of course, it means I can sound like Darth Vader on command, which is, uh, I suppose, a, a mild benefit. Uh, but in terms of topic agenda summary, uh, we have uh, yet another question coming in from the audience, which makes me very excited. This one comes in from Aiden. We'll get to that in a little bit. We're also going to be talking about optimal team strategy at the Great West level and at internationals level. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, gains on toss-up questions. And of course, as usual, our deep dive into 2 Corinthians. Uh, this time will be on chapters 6 and 7. Uh, Scott's going to talk a lot about how to ba- make a study list as a quizzer and the this idea that he has, pretty cool idea, about a material mastery hierarchy. And of course, the Lighthouse Meet is coming up, so we want to talk a little bit about that. Uh, and I think that's going to be the uh, the show. So we'll see how if we can get through that in the time allotted. So off the bat is the uh, the first question comes in from Aiden, and I'm very excited that we we have this question. By the way, if anybody wants to email us, and please do, uh, whether you're a, a quizzer, a former quizzer, or in particular uh, very interested in hearing from coaches, uh, send your questions to our email address at iq at cbqz.org. So Aiden's question, he writes in with the following. I have a question about team quizzing strategy and memorization. I'm part of an all-rookie team, and none of us are memorizing the whole material. How would you suggest we split up memorization or just familiar familiarization of the new material based on question density, jumping speed, etc.? So I have some opinions about this. Um, I have some fairly strong opinions about this, but I was never a quizzer. Um, so I'm going to hand it over to Scott, who's going to actually tell us the truth, and then I'll tell you my opinions after Scott tells us the truth. Wow, that's quite an intro. Um, I think you have to be clear about what perspective you're coming from, because I can tell you all day my thoughts about um, how to study best and strategize as a team to score the most. It may not it may not result in you memorizing the most material or the most significant material or understanding the context of the material the best necessarily, but I hope it would help you score the best. So I think it helps to be clear about what your specific motivations are. Um, Yeah, about that. But when it comes to scoring well as a team, especially if you're not going to be memorizing the whole material, it is a really tough question because by design, the questions are hopefully coming randomly from the entire material. And so each question type is going to test a different part of the material. Uh, And hopefully over the course of the year, every single verse and phrase in the material does get tested. And so because of that, it's very hard to memorize a limited amount. I guess I guess what I'm trying to say is it's hard to memorize a limited amount and expect to not to get a disproportionate percentage of the questions um, based on that limited amount that you've memorized. But that said, from what I've observed this year, there are a decent amount of no jumps And the jumping on what I consider to be a relatively easy question type, which is multiple answers, has been quite slow. And because of that, I would target those no jumps and those multiple answers because they require both the least amount of extra memorization and the least amount of quote-unquote advanced quizzer experience or quizzing-specific knowledge. 
So thinking about those no jumps, I'm really thinking about interrogative questions that there's a lot of no jumps on. And believe it or not, you don't have to go through and memorize the whole material well to get those questions right. A vast majority of quizzers are only jumping when they hear something that they recognize. And that's even that's only when they jump. There are some questions where no quizzer jumps. And I would recommend even reading through the material aloud and not attempting to memorize it will familiarize yourself with the material to a point where I bet you a few of those no jumps can be gotten by you or your teammates. And one correct question is kind of a big deal. Like one correct question at a quiz meet is roughly equal to three points in average. So you get three of them, you're already up to about 10 average for the meet, or maybe about four of them, a 10 average for the meet. It's not very many. So I would, I would definitely start with just reading through the material and familiarizing yourself with it. And don't put pressure on yourself to memorize it cold or no references. But as you read through it, kind of lend an analytical eye to it. Try to understand the story and, like, what are the, the people involved in this chapter? What are the places involved with this chapter? The kind of um, those larger points that might help cement it in your head. And I think you might surprise yourself with the things that you're able to remember based off of even just a reading like that a few times, a few times a week. And then on multiple answers, later in our topic list, we're talking about how to make a study list as a quizzer. And I think we'll get into some of the nitty-gritty specifics of what to do. But on multiple answers, generally... If you have a list to study from, they are unique within about three syllables, maybe four syllables. Well, the jumping is kind of there or slower. And so I think that there is a lot of, um, there's a lot of opportunity for a quiz who wanted to put in some work on multiple answers to get a lot of those. And um, I, think, I think there's a big opportunity there. Usually, because it is a pretty easy question type, you know, it doesn't require um, reference memorization. It doesn't have the crazy competition that Keyverse questions has. Uh, and so usually there's a few quizzers that are like, hey, I can really get a lot of jumps and correct questions on multiple answers. But I really haven't seen that this year. So I would say that those are two ways to go about it. But it's always a great idea to just sit down with your coach and your teammates and talk through what question types are fun for you how much of the material you want to memorize. Does someone want to memorize enough to, to memorize a full maybe chapter or two with references? Um, and above all, I always encourage um, memorizing. If you're going really, to aim to memorize something, really memorize it well. So it's one thing to read through the material and just kind of familiarize yourself with the entire material. I think that's totally fine. But once it comes down to memorization, it is much, much better for scoring to memorize one verse really well with the reference than memorize 10 verses without references and kind of well, and you don't really review them. Um, it just, it always kills me when a quizzer jumps on something and they locate it in the material and they aren't able to answer the question correctly because they don't know the verse well enough. Because I'm like, if you get the jump, getting it right should be a formality at that point. So I really encourage you, if you decide to memorize one verse for the meet or 10 or 50 or 100 or all of them, memorize that, that amount of material really, really well. And once you've done that and have spent time reviewing it, then move on to other material. Any, uh, any additional thoughts, Griffin? Contrarian thoughts? Not contrarian. I think, I mean, that's an incredibly solid advice for the individual quizzer. Um, I look at it, I think, having not been a quizzer myself and just really approaching it from kind of a coach's perspective, I might, so, so I, I'm certainly going to echo a lot of what Scott just said, um, because it's right. Um, but, uh, a lot of it is, you know, 
trying to memorize more and push yourself to memorize more is always step number one uh, or step zero. I mean, it's always the first thing you want to try. Never uh, let yourself think like, well, I can only rarely memorize, you know, three verses or five verses or ten verses or whatever the number happens to be. Always be constantly pushing yourself to just a little bit more, a little bit more. That being said, it's a tricky balance because you don't want to necessarily bite off more than you can chew, although I'm not dissuading you from trying to memorize more. But what Scott was saying about making sure what you memorize you have memorized well is incredibly important, especially when you're talking about key verses. Uh, you know, if you're trying to jump on a finish the verse or a quote or something like that, and it has to be word perfect, obviously that's incredibly important there. And then references when you're talking about quote questions and so forth, incredibly important to have that absolutely precise. But even in, uh, not, call it non-precision questions, standard questions, multiple answer questions, these sorts of things, being able to have the the strength of of memorization of the material is is incredibly important. But it's, again, what what I'm talking about here really is at the individual level. And what I want to focus on a little bit more is uh, is at the team level. You know, what kind of strategy would a team try to develop? Especially, you know, like in, in Aiden's case, he's an all rookie team, uh, or he's in an all rookie team. How would they go about uh, dealing with their strategy? So there's a couple of things that I think I can derive from just sort of the nature of how the rules work in general, right? So there are a couple of ways to sort of slice up the material if uh, amongst a team if you're not going to necessarily. Uh, have uh, somebody try to memorize everything or or even if you have like you know one one quizzer who is particularly strong tries to memorize everything how do you divide up the material amongst the other say two three four quizzers or something like that so there's a lot of differing ideas around this but one is to specialize you know, one sort of um idea is to specialize in a question type so like Scott was saying, you know, specialize in multiple answer. I think that's an incredibly underutilized uh, question type this year. A lot of opportunities there, um, especially also even chapter reference questions, I think, are uh, underutilized uh, at this point. Actually, even chapter verse references are super underutilized this year. So uh, CVRs do require a, a, a very strong amount of uh, reference recall or, or memorizing the reference along with the material that you memorize. So there might be an opportunity there if somebody wants to say, yeah, I, I really like multiple answers. I feel drawn to them. I'm, I want to try to memorize some of those, put together a study uh, list. Uh, Scott's going to talk about that in a little bit and then just drill into that. I think that's effective. But kind of going back to what we were talking about, was it maybe, I forget if it was episode three or four, it, when we were talking about ep, uh, memorizing in blocks, I think the larger the block of verses you memorize, the better you're going to be with some exception. I think, I think key verses tend to be a little bit, this is going to sound weird, but I think key verses tend to be a little bit easier to memorize than say a non-key verse because they are so spiritually significant. Uh, they, in a lot of cases, they are poetic. Uh, and they, they sort of, uh, lend themselves to a little, I think a little bit easier of a memorization case, even though the bar is significantly higher in answering them because of their word perfectness. Uh, I, I think I, I have a feeling they're, they're a little bit easier to just get into the brain. But, uh, as I was saying, if you can memorize blocks of verses, I think you're going to be doing a little bit better the, the larger those blocks happen to be. So instead of saying, you know, sitting down and having, I, I, I look at, Sort of imagine two extremes. Let's say on, on one extreme, you have a, a, a group of four quizzers, a, a team of four quizzers who sits down and says, I will take, you know, quizzer number one takes a question or, or a verse number one and verse number five and every 
fourth verse memorizes that verse, and then each of the other one uh, other quizzers alternate as well across the material. So essentially, you have uh, a fourth of the material memorized, but it's not together. It's it is as sparsely uh, separate as possible in the material. Versus, you sit down and you say, okay, well, I'm going to memorize this block of 25% of the material, then the next person says, okay, I'm going to memorize this block of 25% of the material, and so forth. I would argue that that second way is going to lend itself to better recall of the material and better context of understanding the, the thing that you're memorizing and, and being able to understand when you're in a particular verse, being able to move up or down a verse or understanding the, the words that are being used within that, that verse. I think it's going to help tremendously. So... I might even go a step beyond that to say if you, uh, and this might be a little bit of a stretch for a rookie team, but I would maybe consider this as, as one particular strategy, the idea of, of maybe specializing at the chapter level. Um, because if you memorize less than, than, than the chapter level, if you're segregating uh, by, say, a quarter of the chapter or half a chapter per, uh, per quizzer, you are limiting yourself away from chapter reference questions for one, um, and if you, uh, if you can have a larger and larger block of material that you are, that, that's connected sequentially that you're memorizing, I think you're going to do better off that way as well. So this, this sort of turns the idea of each week we have another chapter or two to memorize as a team. It sort of turns that idea on its head. So you definitely want to be thinking about this you know, in a broader context and definitely be talking to your coach about this rather than just, you know, implementing this, because I think this would have some non-trivial implications into how you would uh, practice between meets. But that might be a way to go. I don't know, Scott, what do you think? I, I agree. I think picking picking a whole chapter is a really good way to go. And I think Second Corinthians may lend itself towards that much more than First Corinthians because there are shorter chapters. I think if you're in a a gospel year, it's going to be really tough to divvy it up like that when some chapters are 60, 70, 80 verses long. But Second Corinthians may be a great place where the chapters are all kind of around 20 verses. Uh, that's a pretty manageable chunk. And if you memorize that chapter, I know that um, you'll be in play for chapter reference questions and a lot of other question types. And so I do agree that that would be a good a good approach. It also, it seems to me it would help your speed in going after chapter verse references as well. So like, you know, looking at Second Corinthians chapter six, let's say you've devoted uh, chapter six to memory and that's your chapter and you're in my room and I start, you know, uh, question number five is a chapter verse reference question according to Second Corinthians chapter six verse. And I, you know, maybe you're jumping at that point. You're hoping to get the first syllable of, of the verse number out. Um, maybe that, that if, if memorizing even just chapter six, 18 verses gives you a, a huge speed jump opportunity to be able to nail some of that stuff on a, on a chapter verse reference question. And if, and if you imagine you're doing that for chapter six and your teammate, you know, in chair two is doing that on seven and then another one's doing that on, uh, you know, chapter four and another one's doing that on chapter five, uh, I think you're going to be in a really good situation as a team. Okay. Any other thoughts on that one, Scott? Not really. I think the really the main thing is as much as you can just work to memorize more verses. I don't think there's a there's a specific tipping point once you hit 25 verses memorized, you can really start scoring. Or I think just um, quizzing really does reward effort. 
there definitely is some talent involved and some experience, but it really rewards effort. And so putting in a little bit of extra work, memorizing a few more verses well, I think you will be rewarded and your team will be rewarded. Yeah, absolutely. There's no shortcut to there, – there's no way around uh, prep time. Uh, and the prep work, uh, the the way that you practice and the way that you prepare and the and the amount that you memorize uh, between meets is is directly correlated to how well you're going to be doing at the meet. And uh, you know the, there might be micro differences that happen at the meet uh, for various different reasons, but at a macro level, it's really all about the prep work. Yep. Alrighty. Well, uh, so Scott, uh, why don't we transition a little bit into a very similar, very similar category of, 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 uh, topic, but what is the, an optimal team strategy at Great West versus internationals, or are they fairly the same between the two? I'm really treating them as the same because the jumping speeds, all the strategy, I think it's very similar. Just the, the level of quizzing is a tiny bit higher at internationals than Great West, but for all intents and purposes, they're the same in my mind. But since I have been a quizzer at both, a quiz master at both, and I believe a coach at both, um, I'm always curious about how to design the optimal team strategy. And I've looked at a lot of stats and um, really come to no conclusion. It seems that at both Great West and Internationals, the teams and the quizzers pushed the jumping speed to a level where everyone gets roughly 50% accuracy on the questions. So the teams that do well are the ones that they win about half the jumps in a quiz. So if there's three teams in a quiz, if they won an equal amount, they would each win a third. The best teams, the highest scoring teams, win about half or even more, 60% of the jumps, at at least a 50% accuracy, sometimes 55%, but almost never above 60%. It's kind of almost impossible in my mind to win more than half the jumps at more than 60% accuracy. Those two things just don't go together. So it seems to score well, you win a lot of jumps, and you do incrementally better accuracy than the average. Well, this was all kind of turned on its head for me two years ago at internationals. There was a team from another district that was amazing. I think they ended up the third highest scoring team after prelims out of about 22, and they won maybe a third of the jumps in a quiz. I think they they were like 17th in most jumps won in prelims. But their accuracy was over 70%. And I think they they got more than double the number of correct bonus questions than the next closest team. And I just wonder, like, I mean, maybe they're more rare than, than um, maybe they're more the exception to the rule than what is actually the optimal. But there are multiple ways to go about scoring well. There's not just one way. And so... I'm trying to devise a way analytically to figure out what is the optimal number of percent jumps won and accuracy rate, how many bonuses should I be getting in a quiz as a team. But then I also wanted to dig into the true penalty of an error because, you know, errors are sometimes no negative points. Sometimes they're negative 10 points. And in general, that's a very small potential penalty if the potential gain is 20 points. It's much larger, the, the potential gain, which is why I think you see the jumping speed pushed so high at Great Western Internationals. But that said, there are other penalties for making an error. A big penalty is if one of your top quizzers gets three errors, and then they cannot get any more correct questions in that quiz because they've aired out. So that's, that is definitely a penalty, and it's a more of a penalty the earlier in a quiz that you air out. So I do 
agree that it is a good coaching practice at, at Great West Internationals if you have a quizzer who gets one or two errors or very early in the quiz to sub them out for a period of time. It's kind of similar to in basketball. If a player gets a couple fouls, they'll be put on the bench for the rest of the first half and then brought in, in some at some point in the second half. But there are other penalties from an error. There's, um, I think one of the biggest penalties is you don't get to jump on the next question. And so you have a 0% chance of getting points on that next question. I think that's a very big penalty. But I don't know how to quantify that penalty because you weren't guaranteed to get 20 points. Your opponents might get negative points. Um, and so it's hard for me to think of a model to quantify that. Um, another thing that I remember is um, PNW has liked to target toss-ups. So when another team airs, it's a toss-up. And I kind of want a way to, to figure out, how, like, what does that mean? Does that mean you should jump at the speed you always were jumping at on toss-ups? Does it mean you should jump a little faster, a little slower? Because um, you definitely don't want to give up a bonus or create a bonus for the other team. You would love to get one yourself. And I think at these levels of quizzing where a fraction of a syllable is meaningful, both in um, what your accuracy will be as a team, but also in the number of jumps that you will win. I really want to know how to adjust your jumping speed by these tiny, tiny increments based on those situations. Um, for all I know, that the teams that I've coached or the teams that I've quizzed on, we were jumping too slow. We weren't winning enough jumps. We were aiming for too high of an accuracy, and it actually limited our scoring. Maybe the flip side is the case. Um, and I really... I don't know. Um, do you have any thoughts, Griffin? Nothing analytical. Um, I've got sort of, call it some, maybe some spidey sense around this, um, where uh, my thought would be, it, it kind of goes back to something that you've said many times that I deeply, deeply agree with. Um, the idea that you want to jump at the optimal speed to be able to get the question. The idea being that if you jump at the right time, that you are planning to jump, right? And you get the question, answering it correctly is a formality. I, I very much like that idea. Uh, I know that, yeah, you, you've got to, you know, maybe ratchet that up a, a, a half syllable or more uh, to be able to get some of the jumps. But I still, I keep coming back to this idea that I wonder that if you slow down slightly, allow, and of course, how would you test this? I don't know that, I don't, I don't know how you could empirically test this um, without just gobs of data, but there, I, I think there's something to the theory of slowing down, or not slowing down, but not speeding up, allowing everybody else to speed up at Great West or at internationals, getting a little bit less of an accuracy, and then coming in and picking up the, you know, maintaining your accuracy, and and even though maybe you're only getting, say, less than 50% of the jumps, you've got a vastly, because your accuracy is so much better, your scoring is going to be so much better. And then, of course, at the same idea that if you are optimally jumping for a regular question on a toss-up, you shouldn't be speeding up because then you will be lowering your accuracy rate. And, of course, you know, an, an error on a toss-up is, I would say, significantly more dangerous than, uh, than, a, than a standard question where all three teams are jumping because ultimately you're going to be uh, providing a bonus question to the third team. Uh, so I think, I think I wouldn't slow down necessarily uh, on a toss up, but I think, uh, you know, keeping that optimal speed is, is probably where it's going to, you're, you're going to get the best sweet spot for, for all of the action. Yeah. Um, it's tough to balance out all of the different variables. 
an, another huge variable is that I think when in a quiz, when somebody gets the first question correct, it just ends up being a higher scoring quiz for all of the teams involved. Um, and so there's not really a lot to do with that. But um, I think it is there is definitely a huge amount of flow and feel um, and kind of tone to a quiz. And if there's a lot of errors up front, it really does kill the tone of a quiz and make it hard um, hard to keep going and keep your focus up. It changes the pacing. It absolutely changes the pacing significantly. And I mean, similarly to that, uh, the Quizmaster's, t- um, not tone, but the, the Quizmaster's pacing and cutting of their speaking on a jump uh, is, is, is incredibly important in terms of maintaining consistency across, the, uh, across the quiz. In, in some ways, I almost think that a quiz master who adds an extra syllable or two at the end is encouraging pre-jumps in a way. Oh, I definitely think so. And I've seen quiz masters, especially on specific question types, like finish this and the next, or, um, a key question 20. I've seen quizmasters speed up the pace at which they are talking because they know the quizzers will jump fast. And that's really, you're kind of just throwing a wrench in the whole competition because quizzing is a timing, it's a timing sport and you're messing with the expectations that the quizzers have. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, the, the, the other thing, there's a feedback loop there, right, uh, that, that, that develops, right, is if a quizmaster speeds up uh, a little bit because they're anticipating faster jumping, the quiz, the quizzers are going to anticipate that and start jumping a little bit faster. And so, of course, you get these, you know, question 18, 19, 20 are in at light speed compared to uh, questions 1, 2, and 3. Yep, and those are things that can definitely snowball um, in a very, very bad way. The other tough thing is when you're developing, like the way I always wished I could develop a jumping speed strategy for Great West Internationals was based on the assumption that the questions would be generated randomly from whatever underlying question set set there is. But at Internationals for the last eight years or whatever, it's been very clear that there is not a ton of randomness. Um, Well, maybe there's been randomness in the selection, but the set the questions um, in the set are skewed very, very heavily towards questions that are unique very fast, which lend themselves to really, really fast jumping. Um, And it kind of gets worse and worse because it it basically ends up being you jump on a half syllable and hope that it's a unique word, both because you know that half the questions are going to have a unique word up front and because the quiz masters are reading super fast. And in my mind, it takes out almost all the skill and the, um, it's very hard for teams who have actually memorized the material well and worked on lists to um, identify themselves compared to teams that haven't, but do know the material well enough to get the unique stuff correct. So I guess there's really no conclusion there, but um, it just shows to me how at, at those excellent levels of quizzing where the kids have worked so, so hard, timing is a really, really big deal. So as a quizzer, you need to make sure that you can hit a very specific jumping speed over and over and over again. Um, and if you're a question writer or making question sets or a quiz master or an answer judge, um, there's a lot of responsibility on you as well to, to keep your pace consistent and um, in a manner that really rewards the quizzers who have worked the hardest. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I have nothing to add. I think that's pretty much it. <laughs> Good. Looks like we hit the gains on toss-ups. Kind of, I rolled that into um, the optimal jumping strategy for teams. So I think we're on to the material deep dive now in 2 Corinthians 6 and 7. 
What have you found, Driven? Well, uh, so similar to some stuff we've been talking about so far, uh, these are very short uh, chapters. Uh, six only has 18 versus seven only has 16. So that lends themselves to, you know, if you're if you're getting yourself into references uh, when you're memorizing, which you really, really should, uh, you're going to have a lot of great opportunity here for some very quick jumping on chapter verse reference questions. Uh, there's a couple of key verses in seven uh, on one and 10 and 11, but otherwise it's, it's uh, pretty straightforward. Um, there's a finish this on six, two, uh, keep that in mind. Um, and a couple of, uh, or let's see, key, uh, key question or a key verse on 14 on 16, 17 and 18 on, uh, on six finish. This is on 17 and 18 verses 17 and 18 on six. Uh, numbers of, of, uh, again, kind of, I'm, I'm impressed with the, the amount of key, well, uh, unique words in chapter six in particular, uh, very strong, especially around, uh, verse five and into verse six. Um, maybe a little bit more evenly distributed in chapter seven than in six, but there's a lot of, uh, opportunities for some very quick jumping, uh, in chapter six. Uh, Scott, what did you, uh, what did you think of the, the material? Well, I went through and I made a list. Um, I looked at every verse in the material and wrote down how many unique words are in that verse, and as well as how many characters are in that verse and how many words. And so you can kind of see the verses that have the most unique words, the verses that have the most unique words as a ratio to how long the verse is, um, as well as if the verse is key and a lot of that stuff. And Second um, Corinthians 6, 5 and Second Corinthians 7, 11 both have five unique words in there, which are in the top 20 in the material. There's a handful of verses in the material that have eight, seven, and six unique words, and so coming in close behind them are those two verses with five each. I'll second what you said about the short chapters. So there is potential for fast reference jumping if you have worked hard. Um, And I would be prepared as a quizzer for a multiple answer that starts in 2 Corinthians 6.4 and potentially goes all the way through verse 10. (laughs) Um, It may be cut off at the end of verse 7, but it may go through to the end of verse 10. Um, So just be prepared for that. That is an excellent question. I'm getting goosebumps thinking about that question. That's awesome. There's usually a few quizzers every year who really work hard on their ability to quote it in 30 seconds. And I think you can quote it um, at a very good speed and quite legibly in right around 20 seconds. So you're you're not going to have time to go back and fix a mistake, which means that you have to memorize it very well. But it's really not that different from a finish these two verses question or a quote these two verses. I bet you if you looked at the total word count in these verses, even though there's like six verses that could be part of a multiple answer, it's very similar to some long finish these two or quote these two verse pairs. Yeah. Yeah, just watch out for all those uh, unique words in there, especially in in five. Mm-hmm. I really have no other no other thoughts on the material. I, I kind of like the the short chapters. It makes it easier for my mind to grab on to um, where the verses are because I think the chapter breaks are natural signposts in the mind. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and it's fairly straightforward material too. There isn't a lot of convolutedness or strange syntax that sort of makes things a little bit more difficult to memorize. I think it's uh, especially in chapter seven, it's very straightforward material. That's good. All right, Scott. Well, you had on our agenda to talk about a uh, making study lists. And I, I remember 
uh, when you were preparing for internationals, uh, I got a chance to see some of your study list and was uh, deeply impressed by what you were doing even way back then. But uh, talk a little bit about uh, kind of the stuff that you put together for study. Well, thank you, Griffin. I'm going to talk mainly about key verse um, study lists, specifically finish the verse or finish this study lists, because those are going to be the most used by quizzers. And a lot of the other lists really aren't necessary unless you want to do really well individually at, say, Great Western or Nationals. Um, they can give you an edge, but there's not a ton of value to diving into a specific question list, either writing it one or studying one, unless you know the whole material well. Um, and I think working to know the whole material well would yield a ton of extra scoring uh, before you can start thinking about lists. But for key verse quizzers, it's a really good practice to... Use something on the computer, um, and there I have a few resources on, on the website, like how to use Microsoft Excel to help you out in quizzing, things like that. I, I bet you you could ask your quiz coach for help with something like this. But you go through all of the, let's say, finish the verses. So I'm not, not thinking about finish these two verses, finish this is, or finish this and the next. But you go through all the finish the verses, and you type out at least the first five words because they've got to be unique within the first five words when compared to all the other finish the verses. But you type out those five words, and then you sort them alphabetically. And then you can see um, how there may not be a whole lot of... There's, there's very few that's very few finish the verses that start with multiple same words as another finish the verse. And when it's laid out in that alphabetical manner, it really starts to stick out into your head how you can jump super fast and know with complete certainty which one it is. For example, I believe for our material, this meet, there are four finished the verses that start with the word but, B-U-T. But all of them have a different word on the second syllable, and all four of those different words kind of look differently as far as a mouth shape. So it's but Christ, but God, but thanks, but we. So really, if you jumped on a syllable and a half or a syllable and a quarter and you got one of those four that start with a but, if you've studied a list, you know which one it is. When if you haven't looked at a list and you're just jumping and you hear a word like but, you may have no idea. It feels like a super common word. But for finish the verses for meet four, there's only four of them. And, that, and that's something that work, looking at a list could, could um, tell you. Looking down, let's see, there's only one finish the verse that starts with though. It would be very impressive if you jump on the word though and you know exactly which one it is, though I am free and belong to no one. And so the key is making a list of the verses for this meet's material, specifically this meet, and then sorting it alphabetically. And then you can see which ones um, have a lot of like similar words at the beginning compared to another one and which ones don't. So I'm looking here. It looks like the two toughest finish the verse jumps would be, therefore, if anyone is in Christ and therefore if what I eat causes. Because the way I count, so I, I always count syllables. So they both start with therefore, so that's two syllables. If the quiz master is reading conversationally, the comma after therefore really functions as a syllable. So we're at three common syllables between these two questions. And then you get to if, so there's your fourth. And then the, the next word is different, anyone and what. So when I make a list, I say I put a four for each of these because they have four common syllables when compared to each other. And so I know if I jump on four and a half syllables on every finish the verse, if I've studied this list well, I'll know all of them. I will have no doubt as to which one I've jumped on. 
And then you can see, you know, if I jump on two and a half syllables, then I'll know without certainty on 85% of them or a large amount of them. And it's that kind of analysis you do. You go through, you see how they start, um, and you can formulate a specific jumping speed based off of two things, or three things. What you know, the overall quickness of how fast these questions become unique, and then your opponents. Um, And key verses, specifically finish the verses, are the best place to start, because you know every single question that can be asked. The, The question writers do not have um, any, uh, what's the word, any flexibility when writing these questions. They have to start this way. You know the verses they have to be on. When it comes to, say, multiple answers, and you want to make a multiple answer list, well, you know, there's probably a bulk of multiple answers that every question writer will write. But then there's going to be some that one question writer thinks, yeah, I think this flows well and is a good amount of material and makes sense. I'll, I'll write this as a multiple answer. But another multi- But another question writer might disagree. And so the two quote-unquote sets of multiple answers that those two question writers have written may not be exactly the same. But for finish the verse questions, you know that they will be 100% the same. And it gives you a a lot of certainty as a quizzer when studying this alphabetical finish the verse list, um, all the potential questions that could be asked of you. I think I've gone long enough, huh, Griffin? No, I think this is good stuff. Um... (laughs) So this kind of leads a little bit into the next topic, too, uh, material mastery hierarchy. And, I mean, you've hinted at this a little bit in the past, but we wanted to spend some time kind of diving in a little bit more of what you were talking about with that. Yeah. So in my experience, um, one of the main things or the most common questions a quizzer will ask of their coach is, how can I jump faster? Or can you help me with my jump? Or can you help me jump faster? Well, that isn't really what the quizzer wants. What the quizzer wants is to both win more jumps and get them correct, which 99 times out of 100 comes back to not the speed of their jump, but how well do you know the material? Because the better you know the material, the faster you are able to jump and still get the question right. So now that we're of the understanding that um, you should be as specific as you can when you're talking with your coach about what you want, like do you just want to jump faster and get an air every time? Do you want to score better? Whether or not that means you have to jump faster or slower or study more or less or what have you. Um, it's really helpful to your coach to help you at that point. But even moving further, moving past that, I've run into quizzers. Um, well, I know I would ask other quizzers, like, have you memorized the whole material? And they would say yes. Some would say yes. Some would say no. Well, that might seem to be an objective question. Have you memorized the whole material? Um, but it can actually be interpreted many different ways. And so what I did is I made a material mastery hierarchy that was my attempt to um, kind of make a pyramid that you can move up as a quizzer to kind of benchmark how well you do know the material. So like, can you quote the whole material? Yes or no? Can you quote it all with reference? How many times do you quote through the material in a week? When you are given a reference, how many seconds does it take you to begin quoting the verse? Can you, when given a reference, can you quote the verse through without pauses, um, so like stopping to think what's coming next? Can you just quote it through without pausing, like quote a conversational? Can you, when given a reference, quote the verse through word perfect? So if a quiz master was listening to you, they would never have to say again or more, and they would just count you correct the first time quoting it through. And so I kind of put all of these different criteria together, and I made kind of a listing of 40 different levels of this hierarchy. And as a quizzer, 
it's kind of a way to um, self-evaluate yourself and to see, oh, I'm at level three, and I actually now, because I'm looking at this hierarchy, I see the things that I would have to do or the the criteria that I can use to judge my knowledge by if, um, if I want to be at level seven or level 12 or, or what have you. Now, none of this is um, necessarily expected or required or anything, but it's just as a quizzer, um, I found it helpful to to understand at a very specific and objective level how well I knew the material. Because when I started, I wanted to get two questions a quiz, and I was going to memorize the whole material at some point in time. But I knew no references. I didn't really review. Um, but in my mind, I had memorized the whole material. But then a year, year and a half goes by, and I'm at a meet, and I see the value of references. And then I see, oh, well... I never really considered references as part of memorizing the material, but now I see how memorizing them can help um, my quizzing. And so I kind of learned that by observation. Um, and so by putting together this hierarchy, I was hoping to do some of that work for the quizzer so that there's almost a roadmap to um, testing yourself as you, as you learn the material better and better as you review it more and more so that you can kind of see yourself moving up this hierarchy. And that's something that I don't know if I put it on the website, but... Uh, it's available, and it's a document, and I'll send it to you if you want to self-evaluate. Awesome. Very cool. Well, so uh, coming up in just a handful of days, uh, so we're recording this Monday night, and on Friday of this week is the next meet at Lighthouse, uh, which is a very exciting and awesome as usual. So a couple of things to keep in mind about this upcoming Lighthouse meet. So registration is going to start around 6 o'clock. Uh, the announcements will start around seven or sorry, not around seven. The announcements will start at seven and quizzing will start at seven twenty. Uh, but be warned, uh, lighthouse is in Puyallup. Puyallup is near or somewhat adjacent to a couple of very large military bases with a non-trivial number of people who work at them, both civilian and military who will be exiting those uh, uh, bases right around the time everyone is going to be commuting to Lighthouse. And at the same time also, uh, right around the same time is, is the typical Friday afternoon and evening uh, commute where people from everywhere are commuting to everywhere else. And Lighthouse, uh, especially on, I, on that I-5 corridor, is uh, sort of right in the middle of a lot of that transiting between Seattle, uh, Tacoma, and Olympia. So please uh, keep, in, keep all those things in mind so that your team can arrive on time uh, for the meet. And make sure you're headed to the right place. So this is Lighthouse Christian Center in Puyallup. There are various other churches with similar names, but there should be the correct well, I know there is the correct address in the email that I sent out to all the program leaders and officials. Um, on the front page of the website, there is the correct address, and you can ask anyone to verify the address, but it's Lighthouse Christian Center in Puyallup. Very cool. Well, there is, I, I have actually one small announcement. Actually, it's kind of a big announcement, uh, a big announcement for me that didn't actually make it into the show notes. Uh, but so, you know, Scott, I've shown you my little CBQZ, you know, Quizmaster app uh, before, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I've gone and done a crazy thing. I've actually published it to the cbqz.org website. So now, at least in theory, anybody uh, anywhere can log in and actually use the app. Um, now you have to when you when you uh, uh, start playing around with the app, you have to create yourself a user, and uh, the 
the admin of the system, which is me, has to approve your user and all that kind of stuff. So it's not like you can just go in and start using it straight away. Uh, but yeah, if you are interested at all about around playing around with some of the question writing tools that are there, the quiz mastering tools, the quiz room tools, uh, or in particular, if you're just interested in using the material reference uh, stuff, it's all there, the searching and finding and, and bopping around by reference. All of those uh, tools are available online and freely av available for anybody to take a look at. So just go to cbqz.org, and there's a link right at the top of the page uh, to go take a look at that uh, software. But keep in mind, this is, I'd call it probably... It's maybe in beta at this point. I think it's pretty solid from a single user. You know, I've been using it for the last few meets, and it, it's worked out pretty well. Uh, so uh, certainly as more people start playing around with it, we're probably going to be encountering a few little bugs and feature additions that need to be added over time. So I'm going to be trying my best to keep that updated and fully functional for everybody. That's awesome, Griffin. I'm not a um, super experienced software developer, so what does beta mean? Uh, sorry. Uh, so yeah, beta just means so that's it can mean a thousand different things. But and this is probably a little bit too old school anymore. I don't think anybody really uh, calls software in beta anymore. They just release it and say it's released and, and go play with it. So basically, beta just means that we think it's good. We think it's solid. Uh, we've tested it, uh, but maybe there are some edge cases that we haven't quite figured out. Uh, we haven't encountered certain edge cases in the wild, uh, let's say. Uh, so it, think of it in terms of drugs. This would be, say, a drug that is past stage uh, three clinical trials, but hasn't actually encountered stage four clinical trials yet. So it's sort of, uh, we think it's good, we think it's safe, but it's not been necessarily battle tested by the general public just yet. Gotcha. So CBQZ might be hazardous to my health? <laughs> it might be hazardous to your health, or it could be a really, really good thing. <laughs> well, I think you've got one account pending approval, Griffin. All right. Sounds awesome. Well, that was fast. <laughs> um, so in other uh, sort of technology news, of course, remember, guys, uh, email us. Please, please email us. Every, we super appreciate the questions that we've been getting uh, the last couple of episodes. Uh, but if you've got any other sorts of questions or comments or feedback for the show, please email us at iq at cbqz.org. Uh, certainly, quizzers, we're very interested in hearing your questions. And coaches, I, I you know, encourage you guys to toss us some questions. I'd love to be able to hear from, from coaches. Follow us on Twitter. Uh, our account is at InsideQuizzing. And, uh, Scott, you've got a couple other ones for us to talk about. Yes, yeah, so that InsideQuizzing is a... Um the Twitter account for for this podcast. There's also a PNW Bible Quizzing Twitter account for our district. Um, there is a, you know what? I don't remember all the specific handles, and so I don't want to mess them up. But there is a PNW Quizzing Instagram, um, and those are linked on our website. I'll tweet out about the Instagram handle here and there. Uh, but then there's also the www.pnwquizzing.com, which is kind of the main website with the schedule for the year, resources. How to start a program, how to how to be a good quiz master, how to be a good coach, how to be a good quizzer, all the info you could ever want there. Very cool. Well, and as is the case, I'm going to uh, close us with a passage from the material that we reviewed uh, this in this particular episode. And since I am still uh, trying to claw my way out from under the uh, plague uh, from the last week or two that I've been suffering from, I feel a certain kinship to Second Corinthians chapter seven, verse one. Therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Scott. 
Thanks, Griffin. See you later, everyone.